So good to see you all tonight. I'm excited about tonight. I am every week. If you haven't figured out, I love the Bible. I love the Bible, and I love this book. That's why we've been in it for 10 months. But we're drawing to a close, which is sad at one level, and uh, I'm ready to, to explore new things at another level. But tonight, you're lucky if you're here tonight, because this is the climax. This is the climax of Joseph's story. If you've been here uh, since, since the beginning of Genesis, you'll know um, we used to be meeting in a home. I, my guess is this is going to be more like one of those sermons. We're hitting two and a half chapters tonight, so buckle up, everybody. We're going to be here a while. Uh, this is like an old school Jeremy sermon. Uh, but but I, I couldn't cut the story in half. I just couldn't. The power of this story is so wonderful. It's so indicative of who God is making people, even in the new covenant. I mean, these are old covenant believers. In fact, these are pre-old covenant believers, aren't they? The patriarchs. And the transformation of their character is so key. So key even then. And we get to see that tonight. And so I'm going to go through the story. And at parts, I'm going to go through it uncommented on because I want you to sit and think about it. And, and when I come back together, I'm going to talk about a few elements of it that I want to pull. But like I said, there's a lot. So I'm going to try and dive in. Tonight, I've named this sermon A Second Chance. A second chance. We're starting in chapter 43. We'll be going all the way to 45, verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them. If you don't, the text will be up on the screen. But this is such an important passage because we're going to see the climax of what Joseph is doing. What is his goal? What's his end game in this? Where is he headed? And we're going to see the heart of his brothers as well on display. Now, if you remember where we last left off, there's a severe famine in the land. And of course, Joseph has been made essentially the vizier of Egypt. He's the the second in command. In fact, nothing goes on in Egypt without his say-so. And while he's there, uh, this famine starts, and he's stored up grain, and he's giving it to the people of Egypt. But there's people all over the land, outside of Egypt even, who are affected by this famine. And they're all coming to Egypt to find food. And remember, his brothers came unbeknownst to them. It was Joseph who they spoke to. But Joseph recognized them. And so he gave them food, sent them back, said, do not show me your face again unless your youngest brother is with me. Because unless that's the case, I'm going to think you're spies. You're spies here to seek out the undefended parts of our land. And of course, they're not spies. Joseph knows that. But he's trying to see his own brother, his full brother, Benjamin. And so they go back, they leave, and of course, Joseph has given them their money back, and so they, they view it as the judgment of God. How did our money come back to us? Said they were dismayed. How can we ever show our face again? He's going to think we robbed him, took our money back. And that's where we begin here in chapter 43. Genesis 43, verse 1. The situation hasn't changed. Now the famine was very severe in the land. So it came about 
when they, this is the family of Jacob, when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father Jacob said to them, go back, buy us a little food. They're hungry again. That grain ran out real quick because it's a severe famine. And so he says, let's get a little more food. But Judah speaks to him and says, the man solemnly warned us. You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, why did you treat me so badly? By telling the man whether you still had another brother. What's their response? Oops, sorry. But they spoke to him. The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. How how could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and your little ones. I myself will be surety for him. I will be a guarantee. You may hold me responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame before you forever. Judah says, I'm going to stand in his place. And if I don't bring Benjamin back to you, I will bear guilt before you forever, Father. Let me take him in, in my care. I'll make sure I bring him back to you. Judah says, for if we had not delayed, if, we, if you hadn't stopped us up, Dad, we could have gone and been there and back twice. We could have returned many times over. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise. Return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob remembers the power of a well-placed gift, doesn't he? We saw that. Who was the last person he gifted? It was Esau. It was Esau when he returned his blessing, wasn't it? He gave him gifts. So Jacob says, if you're going to go down, take a gift. Let's do this the right way. Bring a gift, take back the money that was put in your sacks, and then bring double money. Bring double the money for buying new grain. We'll try and do this as as sincere as possible. We'll try and do this in the most gracious way possible so that we might find favor. And he says, take Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, then so be it. He knows that, that death is there. 
if he doesn't let them go. There's no food. So the men took this present, and they took double the money in their hand, and they took Benjamin. Then they arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house, and slay an animal, and make it ready. For the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said, and he brought the men to Joseph's house, brought Joseph's brothers to Joseph's house. Now, Joseph's family, his brothers, they were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time. That's why we're being brought in that he may seek occasion against us, that he may fall upon us, and that he may make us slaves with our donkeys. They do not view this positively. They see this, is, this must be a trap. Why would this man invite us into his home? He's second in command over Egypt. What is this interest he has in us? Why? Why does he keep calling us out? Well, the last time he thinks we took his money and now... Now he's going to try and make us pay for it. He's going to enslave us. So they're thinking, what can we do? How, how can we get out of this? Let's go to the house steward. Let's ask him what's going on. They came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full, so we have brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. They're saying, hey, this is a total misunderstanding. And look, we brought it back for you. This is your money. It's not ours. And we've brought double money to pay. We want to pay twice what we paid last time so that we can stand in honor before you, that we can be, be honorable men. Like we said at the beginning, we're not spies, we're honorable men. What kind of response are they going to get from the house steward? He says this, be at ease. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father, he's given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, this is a shocking turn of events, of course, because the exact amount of money they had was put back in their sacks, and yet the steward says he had their money. Now, did he have their money? The answer is no. The answer is no. Joseph told him to give the money back. But there's a very real theological reality in this statement that the house steward says, which is that God was at work. The reason they had received their money back was because their God was at work through Joseph. That through Joseph, he put treasure in their sacks and Joseph was God's agent to bless them. But again, every note of this is confusing to them. They do not know what's going on. Imagine Imagine being just a a random nomadic shepherd. And you're like, why is Egypt so interested in me? 
Why is it every time we come here, this guy wants to see us? Why is it that we think we're going to be in trouble and we get our money back? They say we had it. Everything is baffling in this situation. None of it makes sense. So the house steward brought the men into Joseph's house and he gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys fodder. He gave them a a good welcome, a standard welcome. So they prepared the present, that present they had brought. They prepared it for Joseph's coming at noon for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, They brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. Again, this brings to mind Joseph's dreams. He's seen them come to pass like we talked about last week. The the dream of the sheafs, the dream of of the stars and the moon and sun bowing down. Joseph's seen those dreams happen before his eyes. They bowed down again before him. And then he asked them about their, where, their welfare, and he said, Is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? He's trying to be indifferent, but he can't help but ask about his father who he loves. He tries to play it cool. Oh, what about uh, your old father? How's, how's he been since last we spoke? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down in homage. They bowed down before him. And as Joseph lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, remember this is Rachel's only other child, only son. It's Joseph and Benjamin. They're the two full brothers from Rachel. He saw Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, again, he's still trying to play. He's acting. Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. But Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. The act, the act cannot quell the deep emotion that Joseph is feeling. Remember what Joseph said when he named his children? Manasseh. And Ephraim, he named his children. And his first son, Manasseh, he named him for what? Because I've forgotten. I've forgotten. I've forgotten all my toil. And I've forgotten all my father's house. All the days of old, they've passed from my mind. All all the, the awful things I've experienced, they've just moved away from me. Because God has blessed me. And while that was a really true statement for Joseph to make, God had deeper plans, didn't he? He had greater plans. He had the reconciliation of this family at heart. God did. Joseph never thought he'd see his brothers again when he named his children. And here is Benjamin before him. And he cannot stop what wells up inside of him. So he goes and he weeps seeing his baby brother. Then he composes himself. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, Serve the meal. So they served him by himself, 
and them, the brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for this is, this says loathsome, this is an abomination to the Egyptians. It's cultural. They were unwilling to eat with foreigners. So the Egyptians would always eat separate from any people from outside of Egypt. The Hebrews ate by themselves, the Egyptians by themselves. Now they were seated before him, before Joseph. They is his brothers. Now the brothers were seated before Joseph, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. Remember how baffling this is. Like I told you, they've been confused about every step of this process. And now they're seated at the table by rank, by age. Who could have known this? Who is it that could have possibly sat us in order? And that word translated astonishment, we kind of just think, oh man, it's like, what? What does, what happened? That's not what it means. Every other time that word shows up in Hebrew, it's distress. They're worried. This is not, whoa, this is crazy. How cool. This is kind of cool. This is fear. They are shocked. How is this possible? How can this be happening? What is the Lord doing right now? But Joseph, he took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So the brothers feasted and they drank freely with Joseph. Now I want you to sit here for a moment and think about the next things I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to comment on them for now and I'm going to come back through this section. Because I want you to see what is going on. But think again how confusing this is, how distressing this must be to them. Okay, here we go. Then Joseph commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the men's men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and put his money for the grain. And the house steward did as Joseph had told him. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So the house steward overtook them and spoke these words to them. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks, we've brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. 
So he said, now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave. And the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried. Each man lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found. In Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes. And when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. And they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? Let's stop there. Ah, no, I'm going to finish this section. So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for the rest of you, go up in peace to your father. Now let's stop there. Because we're about to see Judah's response to this. But we have to stop here and examine something that I don't think most people realize. That most people do not understand the ramifications of what Joseph is doing. This is new to me. This is me as an adult reading this story that I've heard hundreds of times in my life. And I don't think it was till this time that I realized what Joseph is doing. See, Joseph is putting on an act, and all too often we think, like, why is Joseph being so harsh? Why is he treating them so oddly? They're his brothers. I mean, yeah, sure, they threw him in the pit. They were mean to him, but, like, why, why is this his reaction? Isn't he a man of righteousness? Isn't he a good man? What's this whole contrived situation? I mean, he's manipulating them. He's putting the cup where he wants it. He's he's the one driving all of this. Why? Why? Why would he do that? And what we miss is that Joseph is giving them a second chance. You may not realize it just from reading the words, but what Joseph has done is set up the exact situation in which his brothers treated him so awfully. Do you understand what's going on? Why did he do it in Benjamin's? Ah, let's go back. I'll show you what I mean. Let's go back. Even here at the meal. Do you ever wonder what was uh, Joseph's reasoning in giving Benjamin so much? I mean, I think we just inherently assume it's his, it's his full brother. He loves his brother. So he gives his, his little brother, the one that's his full brother, he gives him the best. 
That's true. I think that's part of the reason. Because he loves his brother. But what else does it show? It shows the favoritism of Benjamin. Who was the favorite? Joseph was. Who was daddy's favorite? Joseph was. So when Joseph gives Benjamin the best portions, and he gives him five times as much, what is he trying to provoke in his brothers? The jealousy of the favorite. And what does, he, what does he know about Benjamin? What do we know about Benjamin? He's all that daddy still has left. The only son of the wife he loved. Not like those other sons of Leah. Nah, she wasn't the second wife. But the only son of the wife that he loved. The one that he kept saying, no, you can't take him. He's all I have left. I'm keeping him here. The one who said, I, I can't send him. Finally, they have to pry him so that they'll have food to eat from their own table. And finally, he relents and says, fine, take Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Simeon is in jail at this point. He doesn't seem too concerned about that in comparison, does he? He's ready to not send Benjamin and let Simeon languish in jail. Because Benjamin is all that daddy has left of Rachel. He thinks Joseph's dead. Rachel is buried. Benjamin's all he has. Joseph is intentionally trying to provoke that emotion in his brothers. He gives Benjamin the best. And then he does what? He puts the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Why Benjamin? Because he's creating a scenario in which the brothers can abandon Benjamin to slavery for their own freedom. What does that sound like? It is exactly what they did to Joseph. It is exactly what they did when they threw him in that pit and sat down to have a meal and then sold him to some traders that passed by. And so Joseph is setting up the exact same scenario. Benjamin, he's the favorite. Put it in his bag. And sure enough, they find it. And the text is telling us something about these men. Who are they? What is Joseph trying to do? He's trying to discern the character of his brother's hearts. Who have these men become. I have not seen them in decades, and I am trying to, to, to understand who they are. So I'm going to discern it by setting up a situation in which they can sell my beloved Benjamin into slavery for their own skins. Joseph sets up a masterful scenario but already, if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention to what the text says, you'll see these men are not the same men that sold Joseph into slavery mercilessly while he cried out in agony. Because what happens? What happens 
when the bag, or excuse me, when the cup is found in Benjamin's bag. The cup is found, and it says that they all tore their clothes. Do you remember what happened with Joseph? When Joseph was sold into slavery and they hatched a plot, how can we lie to our father about what happened to him? He said, hey, let's kill a goat. We'll dip his tunic in the blood of the goat and we'll bring it back to dad and we'll show him and say, look, your son was torn to pieces. And heartlessly, these brothers took that tunic back to Jacob and they gave it to him and said, tell us if this is your son's. And they sat there and they watched their dad cry out in agony and in grief. My Joseph, my Joseph, he's been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes while the brothers stood by watching their lie take hold in their father's heart. This time, when it's found out that Benjamin's life is at stake, they all tear their clothes because they're all grieved because they all, for once, are truly brothers, truly love each other like God intended for brothers to love each other in a way that we basically have not seen throughout the book of Genesis, where brothers have consistently been at war with one another, out to destroy each other from the very first pair when Cain slayed his brother Abel. And not only that, when it's found with Benjamin, the guy already said, hey, you're free. Well, I'm just taking the one into slavery that had the cup. The rest of you are innocent. You can go. The steward says that. But what do they do? No, they go back to the city. They go back to the city with Benjamin. Why? Well, we're going to find out why. But they don't abandon their brother. They go with him. And so they go back to Joseph. And we have to stop here for a second because Judah's comment is so powerful to me. Judah understands the reality that God stands behind his life. Not just that they were innocent in this one thing. Yeah, he knows they didn't steal the cup. He knows they didn't take the money back the first time. He has no idea what's going on. He's baffled, but he knows what he did to his brother Joseph. Remember, it was Judah who said, hey, Let's not kill our brother. Let's make some money off of him. Let's sell him. Judah knows. And in fact, the brothers say when they first come to Egypt, they say, when they see that money in their sacks and they're heading home, they say, God knows. God knows what we did to our brother. They understand that there's a divine judgment to be had for the sin that they've walked in even after all these years, that there is still a punishment for them. And so Judah, even though Judah knows they didn't steal the cup, 
he says this beautiful statement of repentance to Joseph. He doesn't try to go in and argue his innocence. He doesn't go, oh, we didn't take the cup. How can we prove this to you? How can we show you that we were, are innocent of this? No, because he recognizes that in something that was so significant, the fate of his brother's life, he's guilty. And see, to Joseph, as the Egyptian vizier, the apt, the one who isn't really his brother, it's just a high official in Egypt, to Joseph, that Joseph, the act Joseph, this statement Judah makes would appear to be an admission of guilt about the cup. But that's not what Judah's actually saying. He says, what can we say? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? Meaning, how can we prove our innocence? God has found out the sin, the iniquity of your servants. What sin is he talking about? He's certainly not talking about the cup because he didn't do it. He's certainly not talking about the money because he didn't do it. He's saying we're paying for what we did to Joseph. God knows. We've lied to our brother, or excuse me, we've lied to our father for 20 years and not told him the truth of what happened. But God knew. And now I pay. Now I pay for it. Judah's not done. He's going to go on with a speech that is just profound in the heart of a repentant man. Judah approached Joseph. Now remember what he's just said. Let me back up one second. He's just said, Joseph, far be it from me. I'm only taking Benjamin as a slave. The rest of you are free to go. I would never punish those who are innocent, just the guilty. Benjamin took it. He will be my slave. So the brothers have the ability. It's like, let's just leave. Leave him to his fate. Just go back to dad. We'll have our food. We can survive. Dad will probably die of heartbreak, but we can make it out of this, Okay. That's, that's an actual possibility, isn't it? In fact, they've done it before. But what does Judah say? Judah approached Joseph and said, Oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now, this little child, his brother is dead. So he alone is left of his mother. And his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. 
Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. And if you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life, my father's life, is bound up in the lad's, When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant, he's speaking of himself now, for your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me for fear that I would see the evil that would befall my father? Judah is a completely different man than he was in chapter 37 and in chapter 38. The account with Tamar has changed him at the heart level. Judah sees his brother in a pit and sells him into slavery. In fact, he concocts the idea and now that same man is ready to give up his life to be a slave so that his brother may go free. We're talking a 180 diametrically opposite man from who he was. A good man, a repentant man, a man given a second chance. Judah, he's, he's completely changed in what he cares about. They brought a, a bloodied rag back to their father and did that openly and willingly to put him to grief. And now he says, how could I possibly, after seeing what I saw with Joseph and seeing the way my father has grieved these years, these years and years and years, how could I possibly let that happen to him again? How could I possibly put him through that? Let me be a slave in his place. Take my life instead. And what it is, this moment, what does that spark in in someone? What does it spark to see in someone? the complete shifting of character. 
What do you think Joseph's response is going to be to this? He laid out this whole situation to see what type of men they were. And he hears the character of Judah when he hears this speech. And what happens? It's too much for Joseph to keep up the ruse any longer. It breaks him. It breaks Joseph to see the change that God wrought in Judah's heart. And immediately, chapter 45, verse 1, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him and he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh, they were told about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Again, Joseph's heart cannot get away from the father that he loves. He's heard the answer, right? They already told him he's okay. But he just cannot leave the thought of his father. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. They couldn't fathom it. They were dumbfounded. They can't even process it, let let alone respond to it. And I'm sure, if you remember, just think about being in that situation. The first thought, when you can finally process a thought, is, oh, you're, you're the one we put in the pit who's in command of Egypt. Their first thoughts are not going to be a happy reunion, are they? They're scared of judgment because Joseph has the power to do it. So they're dismayed at his presence, but Joseph said, please, come close to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And you might hear that and think that's like a warning, like, you know, the one you sold. (laughs) It's not a warning. It's not a warning. I'm the brother, the one you sold into Egypt. That's me. Don't be grieved. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here because it was God who sent me here to preserve life. What you did selling me here, there was someone behind it. And he had a purpose greater than you could fathom. I was sent here to save life. The famine, it's been in the land these last two years, and there are still five years still, five years, there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. 
Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father. Say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would have been impoverished. But behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers, and he wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. I love that last phrase. Again, this is something people miss. It seems kind of anticlimactic almost, doesn't it? There's this great reunion, cause for great celebration. And all it says is they they wept. Yes, there's a, a great joyous, uh, weeping of tears that they're reunited, but no feast, no, it just says, and then they, they talked. Afterward, his brothers talked to him. See, we forget how quickly we forget. This is chapter 45. Back in chapter 37. Back in chapter 37, what did it say about the brothers' relationship? that the brothers could not say a civil word to Joseph. It said they could not even speak friendly to him. It's all these chapters later, it's, it's eight chapters later, we've forgotten that already. That was way back in 37. This is the reversal of that. We forget the power of conversation. The power of speaking a word to another. They could not even speak civilly to Joseph. And how does this account end? They were able to talk. Joseph and his brothers just had a chat. Something they hadn't been able to do for 20 years. That's powerful. Because the bonds of brotherhood were there. Because their hearts had been changed. That's where our account ends tonight. But if we look at this, 
We look at the work of God. God is at work doing what? He's fulfilling the promises. This series, Genesis, has been called what? A land, a seed, a blessing. The three things that God promised to humanity. A place to live, descendants, and that they would be blessed and be a blessing. And this account, Joseph can see, he can see that he has become the agent of that blessing to the world. He, he says it to the brothers. God sent me here to preserve your life and to preserve for you a remnant, descendants, that you and your children and your children's children would live here, that you'd have a place, and that Joseph Despite all his hardship, all his sufferings, he became the way in which God blessed the world in its famine. That he was there to provide food for any who came to the land of Egypt. And he saved many, many lives, like Joseph says, by a great deliverance. That's at the level of what God is at work doing behind the scenes, ways that humans can't even comprehend until they see the plan revealed. But there's another story here, and it's a personal story, and I know I've been talking about it a lot, but it's key. I think it's imperative. I think it's an example of Christ-likeness. It's a model for us. And it's a model from both ends, which is atypical in the scriptures, that you see multiple sides of an issue, both doing the right thing. They're both acting in godly ways. That's why tonight I titled this sermon, A Second Chance. A second chance, because what is often missed is that this is a chance. Remember, the whole situation Joseph set up was all to give them a second chance to prove who they were. To prove who God had made them. And we've got to look at this situation from both angles. We've got to look at it from the angle of Joseph, the wronged one the righteous man, the one who is offering a second chance. But we also have to look at it from the place of Judah, from the place of the brothers, those in need of a second chance. See, if you're in here tonight and you need a second chance, in some situation, you've done some wrong, you, you, you failed in your history, you've got to be given a second chance to make it right. I'll be honest, that's, a, that's something that's hard to come by in this world. It's something that people in their natural state are not going to be quick to offer. But I've found I have found in my own life that God tends to bring us back to our pain points, to our failures, to our defeats, 
to allow us a new chance to flourish, a chance to do it the right way. And we've got to look at the example of Judah and learn to be men and women who operate, who think, who live out that reality. Because like I said, that second chance is rare. And sometimes it's decades in the making, like in this story. You've got to be prepared to take it when you get it. You've got to be prepared to pursue it when it is there. And you have to have had the character molded in you by God. The Spirit transformed you by His power so that you can do it the right way the second time. And Judah has already had that preparation, hasn't he? He had it in the account of Judah and Tamar, where he admitted his sinfulness and what he had done to Tamar was wrong. He had become a righteous man. He'd become a repentant man. And when the chance showed up again for him to sell his brother into slavery and write him off, and put his own skin first. I'm sure Judah wrestled in himself. He's like, I've got kids. Who's going to provide for my kids if I'm not there? Who's going to provide for my wife? Who's going to provide for Tamar? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my line? I'm sure he wrestled. Can I really be a slave? Uh, That sounds like a pretty harsh punishment. I don't know if I can handle it. Yet somehow, Judah found it within himself on the second chance to not sell his brother into slavery, but to offer to take his place instead. If you get offered a second chance, You've got to have that level of repentance. You've got to be prepared to be that type of person. God calls us to it. The fundamental heart of the Christian, the fundamental heart of the Christian is repentant. In a much maligned passage in the New Testament that most people don't like and they don't like to think about, in a passage on church discipline, Matthew 18. What's the point of it? Why do they keep going and asking the person to repent? Because that's what a Christian does. And it says, go to him with yourself, right? Go, if you've been offended, go to your brother and, and tell him of the offense. Seek his repentance. And if he doesn't repent, you go with multiple brothers and ask him to repent. And if he doesn't repent, then then, then what? You bring it to the whole church. And if they don't repent, what? Send them out of the church. Why? Why send them out of the church? What statement is the church supposed to be making when they do that? They're supposed to be saying, we don't believe you're a Christian. What leg does the church have to stand on to say you shouldn't even be a part of the community because you're not a Christian? The leg they have to stand on is that that person refuses to repent. And if you know the heart of a Christian, it's a heart of repentance. 
when you have been given chance after chance after chance after chance to repent and you refuse it. Matthew 18 says, treat him like a tax collector. Treat him like a sinner. Why? Because they need to have the gospel preached to them so they can get saved. Because the true Christian repents. You got to be like Judah. The heart of a Christian repents. So when the chance comes, do the right thing. And if you're waiting for a second chance, I'll just be honest, in my own situations, like I've had situations that I know would just come immediately to mind if I was like, "I, I hope I get a second chance. Maybe you have something like that in your own life. And if that's in your mind, Tonight, my prayer is, be prepared. You don't know when it's coming. You got to prepare yourself now. Prepare your heart now. But there's a second side to this. And that side is the side of Joseph. The righteous man. The wronged man. The righteous sufferer. Suffering when he did nothing wrong. And I think that's equally important and maybe in some ways even more important. Because what Joseph is teaching us is that you've got to be ready to offer a second chance. I'm not saying do that foolishly, right? All too often we immediately go to the worst scenario. We're like, well... What about, you know, the abused wife? Or, or do they just supposed to stay in that situation? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, Joseph's account disproves that. Why? What does Joseph do? He tests their character. He tests them to see if they've been changed. He does not let them do, you know, just, okay, well, I'm Joseph. Here's another, you know, let's just be reunited. I'm Joseph. Come on, let's be reunited. Everything's fine. I've, I've, just, I've just let go of it. It's all okay. That would be to deny what he suffered. That would be to treat it as if it was worthless, as if it wasn't real, as if the pain and the suffering were not a real thing that Joseph experienced. He's not ready to just openly trust them. He tests their heart. He tests their character. So I'm not saying that there isn't a a wisdom piece to this. Of course, of course there is. Of course there's a wisdom to, to not just go out and be manipulated, to go out and be taken advantage of. There is a testing and a wisdom that you have to exhibit to say, I'm, I'm going to give a second chance, but I'm going to do it in a way that is wise. I'm going to do it in a way that honors God, and I'm going to do it in a way that lets these people exhibit who they really are. So I don't want to take away from that at all. But at the same time, At the same time, you can't be unwilling to offer a second chance. Joseph, if anyone in this book, in the book of Genesis, and frankly, throughout all of the scriptures, if there's just a handful of people who could say, hey, I have the right to punish these people for what they've done to me, one of those people in that handful is Joseph completely wronged while he did nothing wrong and the worst wrong sold into slavery even as a slave put into prison the lowest of the low he could have gone to 
He would have had every right to say, these men, let them bear their judgment for what they've done to me. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Why doesn't he? Because he is a righteous man. And he knows, he knows that God was the one who exalted him out of his lowliness, out of his suffering, out of his pain. God exalted him to be second in command of Egypt from the lowest of the low. And still, he recognized that he had to offer a second chance when he had all the power that the human world could muster to throw at these brothers could have commanded them to be killed like that would have been immediately fulfilled. He offered them a second chance. He was not reticent. He was not afraid. He was not too absorbed in his own pain to offer that as a righteous man. And we have to be ready too. We have to be ready too. And just like I said about Judah, I'm sure you have situations in your mind right now that you've got to be prepared. I'm not even saying go out of your way to seek them out. I'm just saying you've got to be prepared to offer a second chance. Joseph did. And Joseph offering them that second chance was what allowed the brothers to show that they had been transformed by God's mighty hand by the power of God to reach into the human heart and and turn it, to turn it towards righteousness. And the brothers were able to show that. And if it wasn't for Joseph offering that chance, there would never have been a nation of Israel. Why? Because the brothers would have never been reconciled. The tribes would have been split apart by their divisions. They would have been split apart by their favoritism. They would have been split apart by the fact that their mothers hated each other and the brothers hated each other. And hate was the legacy of their family. Joseph changed that because he offered them a second chance. And because of that, they became the nation of Israel. Twelve tribes, all different, but united as brothers. Reconciled to one another as a people. And that is what God does. Because God is the God of reconciliation. He's the God who reconciles us to himself through Jesus and by his spirit And he's also the God that doesn't just stop there even. As wonderful and as foundational as that reality, he's not even content to stop there. He reconciles men to one another like Joseph and his brothers in this story. He actually brings peace between people. He brings hope and unity And all the power of love and kindness and goodness, he brings it all to bear on the human heart and the human relationship. 
That's the God that we serve. So if you're in here tonight, my prayer for you is that you'd prepare your heart now to offer a second chance and to remember when a second chance is offered to you, to take it. Show who you've become. Show who God has made you to be. We've got to be ready to do both. Before we close tonight, I, I just want to have Aaron come up. I, I know I've been doing this lately. I just, I like it. So I'm going to have Aaron come up, and we're going to sing, we're going to sing uh, How He Loves. Is it How He Loves? It's not How He Loves. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. We're going to sing Jesus, we love you one last time because we've got to remember. We've got to remember that that second chance that was offered, that we are called to extend to each other, we're called to extend that because Jesus first extended it to us. If Jesus didn't offer a second chance, if he didn't offer an opportunity to repent, none of us would be here. None of us would have found salvation. It's solely because God made a way through his son to offer a chance of repentance that we can find salvation. And so as we reflect on that reality in the next few minutes, as we think about what the weightiness of what God did was, of what Jesus offered us was, I just want to sing out our love for Jesus one more time. And then I'm, Tyler's going to come up after Aaron plays this song, and he's going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, Tyler's going to lead it so he can do whatever he wants, but he's going to lead us in some prayer. Just remember, when we cry out, Jesus, we love you, he first loved us. When we were unrepentant, when we were enemies, like Romans says, yet still even then God loved us, loved us enough to sacrifice his son, loved us enough to endow us with his spirit. The twin gifts, the greatest gifts God has ever given of himself, his son and his spirit. And by those two persons, we have been completely and utterly changed in the new covenant. Christ has saved us. The spirit is changing us into the image of Jesus that we might live like him. So that one day we might be in the Father's presence to see the glory of his face. Can you fathom that? Look upon him. See him for who he is. Godspeed that day. Jesus, bless each person here tonight. Lord, as we sing this song one last time, would you give us a vision of you? That we might see you. Reveal yourself to us tonight. Reveal your heart and reveal to us that you are the God of second chances. An infinite beyond. That like Joseph, you extend to everyone a chance to repent. 
that you would help us, help us become the type of people that would, that would rise up when those chances present themselves and become people who would take advantage of them, who would utilize them to be repentant and then offer it to everyone around us the same chance to repent. Bless each person here tonight, Jesus.